Medicare Secondary Payer in New Jersey. Let's talk about this topic. And my goal here for today um, is to talk about what the law requires, try to give some practical advice for how we handle it. Uh, which cases are impacted under the workers' compensation laws? Well, any case where the claimant has Medicare already. And my admonition to everyone is just be thoughtful about Medicare as secondary payer also includes Medicare Advantage plans. So those plans that you see advertised on TV and that don't even look like they're administered by Medicare because uh, the person has been um, issued a card that says Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield on it or it says Aetna or it says Oxford or any of the other companies which are administering a Medicare Advantage plan, that person's still on Medicare. So we have to be mindful about that. They might not even realize they're on Medicare. They might just think they're well, got private insurance that you know Medicare backed or something. So we're looking here, we're talking about cases where the person's on Medicare and we're doing a full and final settlement in the workers' comp case where the claimant's entitlement to Medicare goes forward into the future. And remember, when I say full and file, I mean medical is closed as well as the indemnity portion of the case. Now, this is an old law that's been on the books, so we have to think about Medicare's interest. Uh, Medicare was created in 1965, and the idea was to provide only hospital coverage to someone who was about to die. The covered conditions were really entitled, were really uh, centered around your end-of-life treatment and only hospital treatment for things like cancer and stage renal disease. You had to have paid into Medicare for at least 10 years at that time. You had to be 65 years old, and again, the end of life. Now, the reason they made entitlement to Medicare at 65 is because that was also the retirement age for Social Security, which had already been on the books, and also because 65 years old was the life expectancy in 1965. Well, we know that the life expectancy is a lot longer today, and people are on Medicare for much longer periods of time. And over time, it became quite uh, obvious that this system was not going to be solvent. So in 1980, they amended the statute, the Medicare statute, to include this little section, section 1395Y. And when they amended this in 1980, uh, they amended it to say something very specific. The amendment says that workers' compensation coverage will always be primary to Medicare coverage, which means that if the claimant in a workers' compensation case has Medicare, they should not put the cost of any workers' compensation-related treatment on Medicare. Okay, and this was passed in 1980, but it was never really enforced until 2001. And in 2001, uh, with the change of administration, they said, okay, we're gonna start to enforce this secondary payer law, and we're gonna start to crack down and be careful about Medicare having to pay into these situations where we shouldn't be paying. And why? It's because they were running out of money, right? And, and as Medicare has um, you know, become less and less you know, looking solvent going into the future, they're gonna be uh, being more and more careful about their entitlements. So we gotta comply with this rule. Again, it's been on the books since 1980, but it's only been enforced for the last 20 years or so. Uh, and the reason is this law has some teeth to it. We've gotta be mindful about Medicare's interest in our workers' compensation settlements because we could be liable for a double penalty. And that penalty, again, could be assessed against anybody uh, anybody who defrauds or um, tries to avoid Medi Medicare's interest. But the truth is, we're always going to be the party with the most money in our pocket. So we're the party that Medicare is most likely to come after. Um, and Medicare can also apply that penalty to future payments it has to make. So we do want to take care of and be mindful of this, even though this is pure compliance work, 
it does impact us when we close a case by way of Section 20 in New Jersey. Now, which cases are impacted? Well, generally, you're going to see your cases where the claimant's over 65, or they've been on Social Security disability for the uh, for more than 24 months. And the reason for that is once you've been on Social Security disability for two years or more, you're automatically entitled to Medicare, right? So. Uh, what kind of case population am I talking about? I'm talking about your older claimant population and also your population who's already become entitled to federal uh, disability benefits, which is pretty much our oldest and most difficult to close files. So we're gonna wanna be really mindful about those cases. How do we know about someone's Medicare status? Well, you know, uh, sometimes you'll tell us, my client, you'll say, hey, we did a query match with the Medicare system and this person's on Medicare. In New Jersey, they're supposed to, the claimant's supposed to put it on every single claim petition they file. There's a box they're supposed to check that says they are or are not Medicare entitled. But we don't trust them to do that, and so we serve a demand for them in every case that says, let us know if you're on Medicare. In fact, I do this in all jurisdictions, just to make sure uh, that if we learn after a full and final settlement that the claimant's on Medicare, I can always point to this document and say, look, they certified they weren't. How am I supposed to know? Sometimes the claimant will tell us during the handling of the case or they'll reveal to you, oh, by the way, I'm, I've been using my Medicare card. I've been charging things to Medicare. Should I be doing that or not? Um, and unfortunately, uh, this is becoming less common over time, but it's unfortunate every time it happens is when we start talking about settlement with our opposing counsel or adversary attorney, and during the settlement negotiations, they tell us for the first time, oh, yeah, uh, my client's on Medicare, and we now take care of that. All right, so... Uh, that's the worst time because we're already talking about settlement and here's this thing that's going to come and interrupt our settlement. We can also recognize from the claimant's age that they are likely going to be entitled and we need to take this into account. Now, in the simple case where the claimant's entitled to Medicare and Medicare pays for treatment that we should have paid for, this is the simple situation, okay? In this situation, we have a duty to reimburse Medicare. And it's straight from the act, it just says we have to do it. Okay, so that's straightforward, that's easy. We have to reimburse them for the value of care they've provided. Now, we usually don't have a problem with that, right? Because that's care that we should have provided under the workers' compensation law, Medicare paid for it, and guess what? It's actually usually advantageous to us that Medicare paid for it because we only have the duty to reimburse Medicare, which is gonna pay a lot less for the same medical care treatment than we're gonna pay that same physician, right? Because they agree to these really low rates with Medicare. So usually that's good. Remember, this is a usual and customary state. So when Medicare is paid for that treatment already, we just have to reimbursement. And those payments that they've made for treatment, they call them conditional payments, right? They say, well, these, these are payments that we've made conditioned on you reimbursing us. And they will issue what they call a conditional payment letter, which really just looks like a spreadsheet that'll list all of the treatments that the person has received that Medicare paid for, along with the CPT or diagnosis code for each one of those treatments and how much they paid. We think the best practice is always to take a look at that conditional payment letter and just make sure that those treatments are actually related to your workers' compensation case. Now, I've defended cases where, let's say, for example, it's an orthopedic injury to the person's left shoulder. And I've seen on the conditional payment letter treatment that's obviously and clearly unrelated, right? Uh, dialysis treatment or respiratory infection treatment, right? Very obvious. But sometimes it'll be, um, orthopedic treatment to the right ankle. And I've got a left shoulder case and they're completely unrelated. So just take a look at those letters and make sure that they are actually related to your worker's comp case. 
Now, the other thing we have to do is make sure that Medicare does not have to pay for treatment into the future. Uh, that would be normally our responsibility. And the act, uh, the amendment to the act says that Medicare must not be charged for any medical care, which means we've got to make sure they are preventatively not charged, okay, which is uh, their future interest, right? So now we've got to do something that's going to impact Medicare's exposure into the future. Well, how do you do that? How do you protect a future interest, an interest that hasn't happened yet, a potential harm that could befall them maybe someday? How do I do that? Well, well there is no mandatory or required way, but the most common way we approach this is to do what's called the set-aside arrangement, which is just to give the claimant some money that they're supposed to set aside, and this is in addition to the lump sum settlement of their workers' compensation case, okay, we give them uh, some money to set aside and use to pay for their medical care in the future. Now, I want to stress this many times, but there is no requirement that Medicare review or approve any proposed set-aside, okay? Most of my clients do want us to do that, and so we always comply with our clients' wishes, but there's no requirement at all that we do that. Now, a valid set-aside has to contain an estimate of all the medical costs that would be paid for by Medicare or the Medicare Advantage plan, if not for the workers' comp claim. And it has to take it, uh, make that estimate based on the lifetime of the claimant. So that can be huge, right? Also, remember that Medicare has this thing called Part D. Now, Part D covers medications. It's the prescription plan under Medicare. And so if the claimant's on a lot of medications, you're going to see gigantic set-aside um, numbers, future set-asides, because of the need to consider uh, Medicare's future exposure for all that potential future uh, medication treatment. Now, how you structure or financially um, structure a set-aside is totally up to you, right? And you can get real creative with a set-aside. Uh, I love getting creative with set-asides, but... Uh, a set-aside can contain annuities or other financial instruments that pay to the claimant money over time. So in other words, you're not just giving them a big lump sum of money and saying, good luck, God bless you, I hope it all works out, right? Because remember, what do claimants do when they get lump sums of money? Do they always steward them carefully? No, sometimes they go down to Atlantic City and blow the whole set-aside in one weekend. Is that our problem? No, uh, that's their responsibility. If they essentially embezzled from themselves by embezzling from their set-aside arrangement, that's their problem. And it's totally okay, no matter how you financially structure your set-aside, to have the set-aside be self-administered. That means the claimant gets access to all the funds at once. That's, that's fine. You can do that. In other words, that would be one way you could use to maybe reduce your uh, cost for professional fees in managing a fund. But maybe there's a lot of reason you wouldn't want to do that, right? Uh, you can structure a set-aside, for example, so that there's an annuity that pays the claimant a certain amount, which is set aside for their future medical care. And you can structure the annuity in such a way that if the claimant dies, the annuity reverts to you, the insurance carrier employer, right? So you can do things uh, to make sure that this doesn't become just a second windfall to the claimant. How is future medical estimated? How do we know how much, treat how much treatment someone needs? Um, well, Medicare has produced a handy dandy reference guide, which they have been dutifully updating over the years. And over the last couple of years, they've updated it a few times. And they have a reference guide method that they deploy. And that reference guide method, unfortunately, is a little bit um, wooden and rigid. And that essentially takes the person's last six months of medical care, takes a look at how long they're going to live, and just multiplies the medical care they've already received times their future lifespan. Now, it's a little more complicated than that. 
but unfortunately it results or yields very high set aside values, okay? Uh, not my favorite method because oftentimes it's not gonna be the most financially efficient. But there is no one specific method that you have to use to uh, estimate your uh, amount of future medical for the claimant. You know, you can use common sense. Common sense is something called the evidence-based method where you're looking at, you know, scientific information and saying, well, yes, in the last six months they went to physical therapy 10 times, but we don't expect for them 20 years from now to still be using physical therapy. And so you knock that out. So evidence-based reviews or evidence-based set-asides uh, use what they call real-world pricing strategy or uh, clinically um, guided decision-making as to what actually should be included in the set-aside. And generally, these are going to be dramatically lower than the reference guide method. It doesn't matter what method you use, though. Um, you know, you, you are allowed to use any method you propose. Uh, for one period in the guidelines in 2021, Medicare was suggesting that they wouldn't accept evidence-based uh, set-aside arrangements, but they've rolled back that guidance. So when is a set-aside necessary? Well, whenever they're entitled to Medicare and you're going to settle your workers' comp case in a way that closes your responsibility for future medical. And best practice is also to consider when the claimant is reasonably expected to be Medicare entitled within two and a half years of your settlement date. And the settlement is large, and specifically large, I mean over $250,000. In those circumstances, you really should be um, trying to comply with your secondary payer obligations, even though the claimant's not currently entitled. Uh, the reason for that is that the Medicare statute is written in such a way that it says that we need to um, avoid the potential for Medicare to be uh, exposed for medical when they can be reasonably expected to be entitled, which means they're not currently entitled, but shortly will be. And so this is some good best practice guidance to help sidestep any problems. Now, reasonable expectation to being entitled to Medicare is you've applied for Social Security disability benefits, you've applied but been denied, and maybe you're gonna appeal, or you are in the process of appealing, or you're 62 and a half years old, which means I know you're gonna be on Medicare in 30 months from now, uh, or you have a specific enumerated condition that we know will trigger Medicare, right? Medicare also uh, says, okay, you've got this duty, and okay, the two duties are one, pay us back conditional payments uh, that we've already made, and two, build a set-aside, create a set-aside to make sure that I don't have a future exposure, I being Medicare, uh, into the future for something you should be exposed to. So those are our two obligations. But Medicare also does this nice thing where they say, and if you want, uh, you're uh, putting aside a set-aside for the future. If you want, we'll review it for you, okay? And that's, uh, we'll review the case for you. We'll, we'll tell you if the amount you're setting aside, if we approve it in advance. That's very nice of them. But they quickly said, wait a second, we can't look at every case. So the first threshold in which they'll give this voluntary review is if the uh, settlement is over $25,000. If your settlement and your workers' compensation case is under $25,000, let's say it's $10,000, it's a nuisance case, goodbye, get out of my face, Medicare will not review it. Now, it doesn't mean that you have a safe harbor. It doesn't mean that you don't have to consider Medicare's future interest. It's just them saying, those little tiddlywink cases, those little small cases, we don't have time for those small fry. Don't send them to us for a review. It doesn't mean that when you're settling a case for $10,000, uh, 
uh, that's going to be a full and final in New Jersey and the person's on Medicare that you don't have to do a set aside. You do. It's just that Medicare will not review it. Okay, that's what a review threshold is. Okay, they're just trying to make sure their workload doesn't become out of whack or disproportionate to the value of the money they're getting back. And the same thing is there's, they'll say, hey, we're not going to review any case where the person's not currently on Medicare. Okay, which makes sense, right? Why would they review set-asides for people not currently on Medicare? But then they go on to say, unless the settlement is over $250,000 and the person is reasonably expected to be entitled to Medicare. So again, where the person's not on Medicare, but there's gonna be a huge settlement over $250,000 and they're likely to be on Medicare soon, then they'll look at it. So those are your two thresholds. Now those are not safe harbors. Those are just thresholds for them voluntarily reviewing the case. Now, in general, I recommend against pre getting pre-approved set-asides. It costs time, it can introduce delay. Um, a lot of times, by the way, um, when they're reviewing it, they're gonna come back to you and say, hey, um, you put aside $100,000, we think you should put aside $600,000. What just happened to your settlement? It blew up, it blew up, and you destroyed, you killed that lovely section 20 uh, because of that. Um, I, my opinion is that because they're not required, uh, I try to recommend against doing pre-approval set-asides in most cases. But again, this is up to the client. I'm gonna be here to advise you and give you education about what your options are, uh, but if you as a client say, hey, we don't want to uh, do that, uh, my best practice is we don't recommend doing Medicare approvals. But again, that's, uh, that's client's decision, okay? I'll also tell you you've got more options than sometimes we're confronted with. The first one is submission of a set-aside for prior approval based on the reference guide, uh, uh, pricing guidelines. I'm gonna tell you that's gonna result in the highest set-aside possible, right? It just is. Um, but from the riskiness factor, it's a very low risk. Um, there's also evidence-based set-asides, and you make the choice about whether you submit or not submit. You know, your compliance risk kind of varies a little bit depending on what you decide to do. And then the last thing you could do is say, I'm not gonna do any of that. I'm not gonna submit, I'm not gonna not submit, I'm not gonna use evidence, I'm not gonna be reference guide. I'm just gonna talk to my attorney. My attorney's gonna say, well, look, it's a $10,000 settlement. I think you should put aside $400 and that's enough. You know, maybe the plaintiff's attorney says, I'll just put aside $1,000, that sounds good to me. You can do that too, right? Uh, and you are risk shifting because that attorney hopefully has a, a very um, uh, valid and uh, healthy uh, malpractice policy you can go after but there is some risk with that as well, so just be mindful of that. All right, um, some key takeaways here. When you're doing a Section 20, let's just think about Medicare entitlement. It's, you know, it's too late if it's after we've done the Section 20 to go back and fix it. Um, a review threshold and is not a safe harbor. These are different things. It's your choice on what kind of strategy you want to deploy in terms of your guidelines compliance, whether that's evidence-based, whether you want to follow the uh, Medicare rules to the letter, that's up to you. We will you know, do whatever you want. And the big takeaway here is that you never have to submit to CMS for pre-approval. That is truly up to you, that is your choice. All right, uh, we got through the material twice, you know, maybe it's twice as nice. Uh, let me jump over here into the questions pane and see who stayed on and is patient. But we still have a lot of people staying in there, so thank you for hanging in there despite um, my goofiness of pressing the wrong button over here on the machine. Uh, 
So some people have left who left me these early ones saying, hey, Greg, uh, we can't hear, we can't hear you. Um, looks like some people left and then came back. Thanks, Crystal, for letting me know I can hear you now. Kendrick, thank you. Uh, okay, then Ebony says, I can't hear you again. Ooh, yikes. Uh, all right, but do we have any questions pertaining to today's topic? That is the big question that I have. Uh, any questions about today's topic? And I'm scrolling through here. I'm seeing a lot of comments about the audio, but um, no questions about the actual topic. So thank you um, for attending today. I'm really sorry about the audio issues. Uh, for those who jumped out, because it does look like about 20 people or so did jump out uh, because there were audio issues, which wasn't audio issues, by the way. It's just me not turning on the mic. Sorry. Um, all of our webinars um, are recorded and put on our website, so I'll certainly send out a link to everyone so they can have it. They can play this back. We also release them as an audio-only podcast, so you can listen to that and another opportunity for that. All right. Uh, again, my apologize for the way that went today, but uh, we do our best, and um, next time we'll be better because I'll remember to not uh, turn that button off. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining today. Have a great day, uh, and I'll see you soon.